the conclusion of the book of Revelation. We're nearing conclusion of the recitation of the what's going to happen. Um, you could say at the end of the world, at the end of, of time. Of not, I guess you wouldn't say the end of time, but uh, the end of things as we now know it. If you're ever thinking about, well, what's the world coming to? Well, that's what the book of Revelation is about. Um, and, you know, prophecy is given as a as something that should be giving us a peace in our heart. You know, if you look at Isaiah or even Jeremiah, My family right now is in the book of Zechariah, where there is uh, uh, not as much in Zechariah as there is in, in Isaiah and Jeremiah. There is a lot there about judgment, judgment that's going to happen to the people who Jeremiah and Isaiah are speaking to. But then every once in a while, they break out in prophecy. And this is incredible. And of course, that prophecy was written by Isaiah or Jeremiah or Zechariah for us today, but the people at the time who were in the midst of a crazy, crazy environment, it was meant to give them a peace because they could see how things were going to end. And so the book of Revelation, wow, we've, we've been in this uh, tribulation period where there's a lot of scary stuff. Uh, we do believe strongly here at Calvary Chapel that the tribulation period that uh, the the church was not appointed for that period. It says that in First Thessalonians. And but you know during this period there is just a tremendous tremendous judgment, and uh, we saw last week in uh, chapter nineteen uh, the chapter began with the response in heaven to the judgments that had been on the earth. Now, when commercial Babylon, that commercial system that is gripping the world today, but even so much more in the time of tribulation, when that is brought down and, and this city of Babylon, wherever that is, is brought down, it just spoke of all the merchants of the world weeping. Uh, but in heaven, that's not the response to God's judgment. In heaven, we saw uh, in chapter 19, verse 1, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. And so um, chapter 19, we saw that. We saw the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we saw the return of Jesus Christ. And it was the armies of the world gathering around Jerusalem. It was a really, really quick battle. <laughs> really, really quick. Uh, it ended as almost say, uh, before it, it, it began. Um, and so um, the end of chapter 19, we saw the Antichrist and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. And then in verse 
1 of chapter 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast them into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so here you have uh, this, this angel. He's coming down uh, from heaven. This is simultaneous to really the defeat, the final judgment prior to uh, at, at Jesus' return, the judgment that occurs at Jesus' return. At the same time, this angel's coming down, and he takes Satan and he chains him. Now, interesting here in verse 2 that four names for the devil, the devil being one of them. He's called the dragon. It speaks of just the ferocity, the danger of Satan. Satan's not to be uh, someone to be lightly reckoned with. With a Christian obedience to the Lord, nothing to fear, but yet at the same time, you know, I can remember as an early Christian, you know, bring out Satan, I'll put on my boxing gloves and, you know, box him. No, 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 no. You, you don't want to do that. He's been around for a long time. He's been observing human behavior for a long time. He's more intelligent uh, uh, than us. Uh, he knows more things. He knows the Bible better than us. And so you don't want to deliberately be going after Satan um, going out of your way because he is that dragon. It says that he's the serpent of all, re- referring to what happened in Genesis chapter 3, deceiving Eve and Adam. He's been deceiving people ever since. He is a deceiver. Jesus says when he lies, he speaks his native language. He's called the devil, Diabolos, Uh, is the underlying word, meaning the accuser. He condemns Christians. Not only deceives uh, uh, human beings, including uh, Christians sometimes, he will uh, deceive uh, a Christian who's not in the word, not listening to the Spirit, not going before the Lord in prayer on a regular basis. But he will condemn them. He condemns them, um, we read before in Revelation, night and day uh, before God. Thank God for our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, who sits at the, um, who's at the altar of God interceding on our our behalf. And then finally, Satan. Satan, uh, the word there means opposer. He, He opposes. So aside from his deceit, aside from his accusation. There's just that opposing, resisting the kingdom of God, resisting the work of God that he wants to do in your life. And Zechariah, I think it's chapter 
2. There's this incredible um, picture there of Satan opposing Joshua the high priest, just opposing him, opposing what they want to do. They, they were called to rebuild the temple of God, and there was Satan opposing. Uh, and so he will do the same uh, with, uh, uh, with you until this time in Revelation chapter 20, at which time this angel is, is going to get a hold of him and bind him. Now notice, this, is, this isn't any um, particularly renowned angel. We read before about one angel with his ha- uh, one foot in the sea and the other on land. They were another angel who was in the sun. I think that was in uh, the previous chapter. I mean, we, we have seen some angels, pretty amazing angel. This is like Frank the angel. Uh, this, angel. this is just Joe Angel. Hey, you, go get Satan. And, and, and that's important that we understand that because, again, when, when, at this present time, and we saw this in the book of Job many, many moons ago, that God is, is using, it sounds strange, but he's using Satan in a particular purpose uh, to test uh, uh, mankind and this type of thing. But when, when that's done, there's not going to be any fight or struggle. There's not going to be, okay, now God's got to marshal all his mighty angels against this guy. No. It's just, hey, you, angel, can you just go bind him with this chain? <laughs> That's what's going to happen. So important that you understand that God and the devil are not opposites. Sometimes you hear weird stuff like that. Or the yin-yang thing. That's one thing that was so destructive because it's just not true. <laughs> you, you don't, it, it's not sort of, they're not equals. And, and that's why this is such a good picture for you to remember. God and Satan are not equals. Nor is, is it this thing that where God is like 51% more powerful. Uh, and Satan 49, so God always sort of wins. No, that's not the case. And it says these, he's chained here for, a thousand years, you can't, this is not a normal chain, you can't go over to Home Depot and, and buy one. I don't know if any of you have been at ship docks, I'm, I've been a lot of boat docks in my years, you see these gigantic chains on these ships, wow, it's not even one of those, there's some peculiar kind of chain which is used to moor down an angelic being. <laughs> I don't think you can go buy one on eBay, but um, but uh, but anyway, you can try. And come in and do. We'll do show and tell. You can show us what you uh, what you bought there. But um, I, I don't think you can buy it. But anyway, uh, notice here: a thousand years. He binds them for a thousand years. I'm going to spend a little time on this because this is a matter of great uh, controversy in the Bible, what this means. Now this, this word, this phrase, a thousand years, he's bound for a thousand years. It's used six times in, in this chapter. And there's a lot of controversy by, uh, of, of, of what exactly this means, but at Calvary Chapel, we are among those who just take it 
take this literally that there is going to be a uh, uh, that there's going to be a literal thousand year period in which after rather after Jesus returns to earth he's going to set up his kingdom age for a thousand years during that time Satan will be bound he will not have reign on the earth the Bible says in first John which we're in on Sunday morning haven't got there yet but it says the whole earth is under the sway of the devil it's not going to be like that anymore it's not going to be like that anymore at least for that a thousand year period now uh, some uh, some people a couple questions why this thousand year reign it does it, when, when you first read about it and I didn't read about even know about this kind of stuff until I was I think in my uh, I was in my later 20s and uh, started going to uh, Calvary Chapel why I mean, why not just come and do a new heaven and a new earth? Why not? I mean, you know, with all this mess down here, why not just start all over when he comes? Now, we did read in a previous chapter that, uh, that w- during the, the millennial reign, things the, geographically, the, the world is going to look a little different, but it's going to be the same world. And what's the reason for that? Well, one of the reasons for the a thousand year reign, um, it's, it's going to be a time, again, of, uh, of perfect peace. Of, uh, there's not going to be any corruption or crime, no oppression, people taking advantage of, uh, of each other, uh, no famine, this kind of thing. Man is going to be able to see what it is like when there is someone who is a just judge who's reigning the world. What happens when someone really does, makes the right judgment all the time? And they're going to see the beauty of that. They're going to see what the world is like when governments are not spending billions of dollars of weaponry and law enforcement and war. No money spent on any of that. It's all gone. We're going to see what this world is able to do um, apart from the sway of the devil and with the reign of Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, I think what's really important, um, Eric and I uh, finished, read a book together, Progressive dispensationalism. We read it, uh, I think, late last year. And it really opened up my eyes to um, what the book was. It was the theology of of the kingdom from the very beginning of the Bible until the end. And and what it did a fantastic job doing is, is, is really teaching us from the Bible that God had a wonderful plan for Adam and Eve. And it was for to establish a kingdom on, on planet Earth and make something really, really beautiful out of it. There's an actual purpose for this world. And, and, and amillennialists, those who do not believe in a literal, uh, a, a literal thousand year period, a little bit more on them uh, later, there's just this, you know, you, there's just this thing where 
there's no real purpose for, for earth here. We're just going to look to heaven someday, uh, look to heaven and, and do away with this earth. And there's no real purpose um, to establish a kingdom on this world. But, but um, and, 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 and by the way, I, I know full well, Colossians chapter three, set your mind on things above, set your mind on heaven. Absolutely, you need to do that. But that's because we made such a trash heap of this world. But that doesn't mean that God didn't have a, a, a plan for this world to, to, to really glorify him with what could happen on this world. And that's what we're going to see in the millennial kingdom. A piece, a piece, a taste of what it was really meant to be. Now, there's still going to be sin, and we'll, a little bit uh, uh, on that later. But uh, so that's... Um, so that's uh, I think uh, uh, I think what the Bible teaches is the reason that the Lord has set aside this thousand-year period. Amillennialism is the view uh, taken by many Christians. Who, by by the way, this is not this is not a reason to divide Christians. And so many Christians who I love and respect love listening to their messages, preachers with their messages. I I love them, we'll have fellowship with them, we'll go on missions trips with them, pray with them, whatever, do ministry with them. Uh, But I don't agree on their uh, interpretation of Revelation 20. And is it Daniel? A thousand years? Is that from Daniel? I believe it is. Uh, where, where it's taught in Daniel, the, uh, the book of Daniel in the uh, Old Testament, the, the thousand-year reign. They, be, they believe this is all this thousand-year, these six references in this chapter is all a, a metaphorical reference. It's, it's a spiritualizing uh, type of thing. And, and what it's really, um, what, it, what they think it means is really um, symbolic of how Christ is presently reigning through the church. And so we're really in this period now. Now, I could go on for hours and hours about how crazy I personally think. I'm not trying to insult, but how crazy, because look at the picture we have of the millennium. It's a time where Satan has no reign, and so I don't really get it. Uh, he clearly has been, during the thousand year period, he's been chained up or he no longer has um, authority. Uh, but not only that, just all the references in the Old Testament to what life is going to be like in the kingdom age, Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, but with righteousness, he, Jesus, shall judge the poor, decide with equity the meek of the earth. So this is talking about something happening on the earth. Not in heaven, on the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his wrath. And with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And then these verses, which some of you are familiar with. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf with the young lion. The fatling together, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their uh, young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play uh, by the cobra's hole. 
I mean, as a guy, that one, I like that, okay? Snakes. Like, playing with snakes. I mean, that's, that's going to be really cool. Don't you agree, John? And that will be very, very cool. They shall, verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Wow. Now, and by the way, so many crazy things happen with these um, millennial age verses. I just read this past week that there's a group of ultra-Orthodox Jewish people. They don't work. They spend all their time year after year after year memorizing the Talmud and this type of thing. And they see themselves as a fulfillment of that, of that verse. The, the earth shall be full to the knowledge of the Lord. I, I mean, I, again, you, you can't. What about all the rest of the verses that precede it? I mean, come on. Uh, and, and so um, a literal translation, uh, in my opinion, is the only reasonable one. Verse 3, it says, And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Important that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and I believe and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, yes, verses 21 through 22, it says that the time that you establish a relationship with Jesus Christ, it says he anoints you and he seals you and gives you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come, which is heaven. It's a security of your salvation. That's what that speaks to. That word seal there in those two, two books is the same word for seal in verse 3. Notice Satan doesn't, doesn't have any ability to undo this seal in verse 3 of chapter 20 of Revelation. And neither does he have any ability to undo your seal after you've been sealed with your salvation. He's cast into the bottomless pit and then at the very end but after these things he must be released for a little while more on that in a bit verse 4 and I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. It's really strange we've been seeing that here recently, a foreshadowing of the tribulation period. And who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Again, I don't know how you spiritualize this verse, but, you know, enough of that. What, what, the reference here is to um, the thrones of those uh, who, at the beginning of verse 4, it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed uh, to them. Those thrones, I believe, are a reference to Revelation chapter 4, where we saw 24 thrones 
And if you weren't here, you may want to listen to that message. But the 24 thrones, um, we believe, represents the church there. The, uh, there. And so uh, we are told in the Bible... We are told in Luke 22 that Christians, the church, as you know, you may have a very low self-esteem, but the Bible says that you will be reigning. You will have some kind of capacity in implementing uh, the ru- rule and reign of Jesus Christ in the millennial reign. Jesus says uh, in Luke 22 to his disciples, but you are those who have continued with me b- by trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the church in Corinth, and that was one carnal church. Ooh, ooh, oh my. They were carnal. But they're, even them, Christians, are being told, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that uh, pertain to this life. In addition to that, the parable in Luke chapter 19, the parable of the minas, where it says a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them, rather, yeah, delivered to them 10 minas uh, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so what happens... um, uh, well, I'll just continue here. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful in very little, you have authority over 10 cities. And then so on and so forth. One man was given five cities, another um, uh, uh, but then, but, but then one says, "Well, I just buried it, <laughs> and, and uh, it was uh, um, a, a tough ending for him." But uh, anyway, so the 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 reference here in in, in Revelation twenty verse four again is to literally uh, the church and people in the church, men and women in the church, reigning in implementing the justice of God. But in addition to that, there's this reference um, to these souls being beheaded. Again, we've seen this recently with, with ISIS beheading uh, Christians. Could be a foreshadow- is appears to be a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the tribulation period where the same thing happens. It says these also... It says they will live and they will reign with Christ. So the saints in in that period as well. Isaiah 65 has just a really cool verse about the tribulation period. It says that when you die, if a person dies, not, not, uh, let me rephrase. Isaiah 65 has a really cool verse about the 
millennial kingdom. It says when a person dies during that period at 100 years old, it will be like to us a child dying. This is not going to have uh, death around um, the way we have it now, at least. And so... Um, A good question to ask is that why will there be any need for judgment and Jesus ruling with a rod of iron, this type of thing, during the millennial kingdom? That's a very good question. What I believe the answer is here is that there will be these tribulation saints going into the millennial kingdom, marriage, People will be, there will be people who will be married, <laughs> who will go into the millennial reign already married, but there will be marriage in the uh, millennial kingdom amongst these people. They will have children. The children will have um, a sinful nature. And these children will be prone to rebellion like any other son of Adam or daughter of Adam. Now, when you take the devil out of the equation, it still makes things incredibly different. But they're still prone to rebellion, and there's still going to be the need for Jesus to reign as a judge. Hence the reason for a ruler during this time period, and people to rule and to reign. Now, verse 5 says, there, verse 5 of, of chapter 20 says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, this is referring to those who were wicked and who never came to faith in Christ. And then it says, this is the first resurrection. Now, again, the first resurrection, and this is where things get a little complicated, so try to follow me here. The first resurrection includes all the righteous, all those who have put their faith in Christ from the time of Jesus' resurrection on. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, Jesus is the first fruits among those who rise from the dead. In addition to that, you have this reference in Matthew 27, 52, where there's this earthquake after Jesus' death, and so some Old Testament saints were, uh, uh, were raised from the dead at that time. Um, that, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, try to follow me, there's a lot of information here, most Old Testament saints will be raised to life after the tribulation period at the time of Jesus' return. You can do your homework in, Revelation, uh, in, in Daniel chapter 12. But in, in Matthew, apparently, we get this, 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 we saw this foretaste of what was going to happen there. So every person, every single person who trusted in Christ from the time of the resurrection until the rather until the, from the time of Jesus' resurrection until Jesus' physical return, 
This would include all the tribulation saints. They were part of the first resurrection. And that's why it says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Now, there are still going to be the dead who never put their trust in Christ. For From Adam and Eve on, all the dead who never put their trust in Jehovah, in the Lord. That resurrection is not going to be for another thousand years. We'll get to that in verse 11, which will be next week. But the first resurrection is everyone who has put their trust in Christ, the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and also the tribulation saints. And then you'll, uh, that's, th- those, that's who takes, takes part in the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is not referring to a single event, but it's an order of resurrection which includes all the righteous who are raised from the dead at the time the millennial kingdom begins. They are the, the first resurrection, again, in contrast to the later one where the wicked dead are going to be raised and they're going to be judged. So verse um, 6 continues. I'll just read the verse again. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. High drama here. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now notice there it doesn't say that he escapes from prison. He's released from his prison. What does he do? Verse 8. And he will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And when you just sit back and meditate on this for a bit, this, that's pretty incredible, right? It's like the second the guy gets out, he's not a guy, he's a creature, but uh, the second he gets out of, uh, of, this, of this bottomless pit, he goes back to doing the very same thing. It's just, it's, it's just, it's his nation. It, rather, it's his nature to deceive the nations. And, and, and you think about, you know, the power of deceit. Well, you'll see it, actually. It says in verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of saints in the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So it said he, he, gathered, he gathered people. The moment he was released, he went to the ends of the earth and he says he gathered people whose number is as the sand of the sea. So a vast amount of people, even in the millennial reign, and this just really just goes to show you the, the power of deceit. And, and look, a, a good question to ask is, who on earth are these people? Are they out of their minds? Like, I thought the millennial reign was better than this. Like, what's going on here? I mean, it, uh, and, and, and so the, really the answer is, 
it's, it's, it's really, um, these again are the people who, who've been born on earth during the kingdom age. Again, they have no experience other than peace and the world and happiness and this type of thing. Uh, Jesus is intolerant of, uh, of sin and corruption and corrupt governments. And, and, but no one has ever had a chance to rebel. No one's ever really had a chance to rebel because Jesus was the king. So what the Lord does here, he gives, and this may seem odd to you, but he gives all these people a window of opportunity to rebel and to expose their hearts. And why does he do this? Well, you know, how many times have you been out in the street and, and, and you're talking with someone and, and they just said, I just don't believe in God because if there was good God, why, why all the suffering on the earth? The answer, I believe, or well, one of the answers to that, we never should claim we have all the answers to those kind of questions, but one of the answers for that is God gave us a, fr- a choice, a free choice, a choice to follow him or to reject him. And that's what makes love so powerful. That's what makes love so endearing. It's a wonderful thing to have a relationship with my children. You know, as they grow older, they're making a choice to continue to love Steffi and I. And that, that's just such a wonderful thing. I mean, it's just, it's really overwhelming. But what if they were like one of those, you know, dolls that you just push a button and I love you, you know. Well, you know, little six-year-old girls like those dolls. But not adults. We want it to be real. And here you have this, and it, it may seem a little strange to us, and, 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 but, but, but it really uh, it makes a lot more sense when, when you think about the nature of love involves a choice. And so that's why God releases Satan for, it says, a little time, for a little time. And he comes and he deceives many, many people. As I was reading over these verses, it says that Satan went immediately to the four corners of the earth and, and to deceive the nations. He is a deceiver of nations, a deceiver. And when you see decisions of nations around the earth, you know, I, I spent part of my growing up in Venezuela and, and some of the decisions that have been coming from the rulers of that country are just so crazy. It, it, and, and, and yet, it makes sense in light of the Bible. They're being deceived. This country the Supreme Court decision a couple weeks ago. They're just deceit. They're being deceived by the, by the serpent of old. 
That's what's going on. Deceiving the nations. It will be unbelievable this thousand year period where, where Satan won't have that, you know, won't have that freedom to deceive, but just the power of deceit is really is really it's really strong. It says more than the sands of the sea. These are people who had just lived in this incredible world, this taste of the Garden of Eden. Of what God wanted to do with Adam and Eve, and and the world just going to be just this incredible, just incredible beauty and unity and wow. If you think a deserted island in the Caribbean is pretty now, I mean, it'll just be even so much more. You know, you can go camp out there at night without thinking you're going to be robbed at night. Whatever, but but it'll just be this incredible time. But notwithstanding that. You will have you will have people who choose to reject Christ anyway and who rebel. Talk about a quick ending to a battle. It says the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Oh man, I, I, I wonder which battle was quicker. Like this one? Or, or was it the one in, with Jesus' return in, in Revelation uh, 19? Uh, I don't know. But uh, these are really quick battles. I tell you when, you, let, when you just wait on the Lord for him to do your battles, things can be uh, really, really quick. But um, it's a quick battle. It says in verse 10, And then the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there is the holding tank for the dead, which the Bible calls Hades, if you remember from the book of Luke and the story of Lazarus and the rich man and they are being held there uh, a waiting place for the dead, but even in that place there is a separation between the wicked where there is torment and uh, the children of God where there is peace. Abraham's bosom uh, is what many call it. And uh, at the time of Jesus' return, the children of God, the followers of Jehovah, will participate in in the resurrection but the the wicked will remain there again for a thousand years and we're going to talk about that uh, later but there's Hades which is the waiting place for the dead but then there's Gehenna which is the eternal lake of fire and that's the reference in verse 10 where the, the Antichrist Notice there that the devil is going to be uh, thrown there. And you may have heard this before, and it's a good hearing, that the devil was never... I mean, that the hellfire, the eternal lake of fire, was not made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. And and here, um, we've already seen at the end of chapter 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet were, were sent there. Notice after a thousand years, there 
still there. They have not been annihilated. Now, there is a doctrine out there, I believe the Seventh-day Adventists, but some prominent Christians, which, which really grieves me tremendously, <laughs> believe in this doctrine of annihilation, uh, annihilation, annihilationism. Yes, in which there's gonna the, the you know the soul of someone who, you know who dies rather than going to heaven if they rejected Christ it's just going to be immediately extinguished. It's not biblical. It really has been designed for those who um, just the idea of eternity in torment is so terrible, and and it is terrible. But they have come up with an alternative explanation and look I, I, I don't I don't enjoy thinking about these things either someone in the eternal lake of fire but it is what the Bible says and we need to be f- faithful as we teach and believe to what the Bible says and so here you have you have these two human beings who lived on earth they're still there their souls are still in the eternal lake of fire after a thousand years the devil um, is thrown there as well there's going to be a judgment uh, later on in this chapter where the, the 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 dead who are still in Hades um, there's going to be a judgment on them as well, and they're going to be thrown there as well. But um, we will be there in the millennial reign, living with glorified bodies. Living with glorified bodies. We will not be those who are deceived by Satan. I mean, you, you may be tempted to read this, and it's like, oh, wow, when Satan's released, and he goes out and deceives people, and, and you know, the number is, as the sand of the sea is going to fall, what if that's going to be me? Well, uh, that's not going to be you if you have, have trusted in Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You will have a glorified body. You're not going to be given this, uh, giving into this temptation. But not only that, it's just as important is that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Which is what? A guarantee, 2 Corinthians 1 says, of what you're going to get in the future. And so, you know, no need uh, to be worried that this will be among you, among these people who were deceived there. But uh, high drama here in the book of uh, Revelation. We will continue this uh, next week. We will continue, continue our study in the book of Revelation uh, until, 